Well, if you would again uh, take out your Bibles and let's uh, turn again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be continuing our study uh, verses starting and looking at starting at verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God will remain forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. <coughs> reading of your word. <coughs> we pray now, God, for the preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear. Give me the strength needed. May we learn from you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the metaphors which Scripture employs of the church is that of the body. Of course, we've been uh, seeing this um, over the course of the past several weeks. We are members of the body. Christ is the head. And there's a union and a communion with which we enjoy in the church. Those who are in Christ are spirit-filled people. And we have regard for one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to their own husbands, while husbands are to love their wives. And this is the picture of the relationship and the union which Jesus has with his people. As Paul describes this and makes clear that the mystery of being one in flesh is about the church. Nevertheless, he adds that the husband is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. It is here that the discussion shifts to another fundamentally important member of the body, namely the children of believers. Now, Paul includes them in his instruction here, uh, probably for a number of reasons, I'm sure, but one certainly is this. Children have an interest in the covenant as well as their parents. Covenant children are set apart for the Lord on account of their parents, and their obedience to the Lord results in great blessing. Children are, of course, a blessing for the Lord, and are then partakers of Christ's blessing. Therefore, it is natural that children should be mentioned in this discussion, for they are members of the body as well. They are part of the households, recorded in Acts, for instance, and they are part of the church, the household of God. And so our children have an interest in God's promises. And so, much like marriage, the relationship of children and parents point us to the greater relationship which we have in Christ to our Heavenly Father. There is great blessing which comes to those who are children of God and walk in obedience to His Word. 
Those who were previously dead in their trespasses and sins, walking in darkness, have been brought into light and have been given life. Grace has been lavishly poured out on believers. The spiritually dead are made alive in Christ. And this grace, which brings about saving faith, is a free gift. Sola gratia. Grace alone. So the Christian does not earn this. It's a free gift from God. And the result of this salvation is that we are gathered together into the body of Christ. Paul speaks explicitly of this in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But though there is one body in Christ, there are, of course, many members. We are in the church. We are in union with Christ, our head, and we are united together as members of the body. Now within that body as well, there's authority structures. And this authority structure finds its analogy in the family. And so today we turn our attention to instruction given for children and for the parents. And so beginning with verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is the command. And then the reason given is simply this, for it is right. So children in a household are under the authority of their parents, and thus they have a duty towards obedience. Now this, of course, is not a new concept. For the scriptures clearly teach that children owe to their parents obedience. This is not only the lawful thing to do, nor is it only the prudent thing to do, though it is both of these things, but as it says, it's right. It is right because obedience of children to parents reflects the created order of things. Parents have a duty to look out for the interests of their children, teaching them, admonishing them. Wisdom is handed down from one generation to the next when a child follows his or her parents. When they do this, there's there's gain for them. It is good. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck, Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Now, it should be understood at this point, this teaching is not merely for children and their parents, but rather for anyone who is under authority or holds authority. This, of course, becomes more clear by the next section when it talks about slaves. There's, there's a principle being given here. And this is the reason that the Westminster Larger Catechism states that the general scope of the fifth commandment to honor father and mother... This is just this is a general principle. This is the scope we're talking about. Just as parents are to tenderly and lovingly impart wisdom and to lead and guide those under them, so are those who are in authority to tenderly lead and guide them. Just as children are to listen to and obey their parents, seeking to follow after their wisdom, 
So it is those who are under authority to willingly and cheerfully perform all the duties given to them. And the reason for this is it is right. It is good. Because all authority is derived from the Lord. The obedience of children to their parents and the obedience of of those who are under authority to authority is to be in the Lord. Our obedience then is rooted in our love for God's word and our desire to give glory to God. Which is to say that your obedience and my obedience should not be rooted in fear of punishment or fear of loss. It ought to be rooted in religious worship of the triune God. We obey God because we, or we, we obey because we love God. Christians are to, are to obey their leaders. They are to follow the law and God-ordained authority. Children obey their parents. First and foremost, because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Above all else, we want to worship Him. We want to honor Him. And this is the application of the idea which was introduced to us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Obedience to God honoring authority is an act of worship. And so we obey in the Lord, but we obey only in as far as what is required is consistent with the Word of God, which is to say that we have no duty to follow unlawful authority. And by unlawful, we're not talking about things we disagree with. Just because I don't like a law doesn't mean it's unlawful. The civil magistrate may ask us to do things which are odious to us, but are still lawful. No, we're talking about clear violations of the law of God. The Christian is not to obey that which would require him to disobey God, because God is the ultimate standard and rule. A child whose parents demand sin, for example, is not to be obeyed. If a child had parents to say, you need to go rob banks, a child has no obligation to follow that. They are not to obey that, they are to obey God. Any authority which would demand us to sin is not to be obeyed. Nevertheless, the general principle is that we obey and submit to those God has placed over us. And in this case, the scriptures teach the obedience of children to their parents. And so children. This exhortation is for you. Listen to your parents. Hear their instruction as they impart wisdom to you. They are wiser than you think they are. Obey them, for this is good and this is right. They offer you good advice. They understand through study and experience the way that this world works. They understand the darkness of this world. They say and do what they say and do for your good. 
and for the glory of Christ. The instruction, though, to obey is rooted in the Scriptures. Children are to obey. It's specifically in the Ten Commandments, which the Apostle then quotes. He says, honor your father and mother. And then he adds, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, to honor, to honor means more than simply to obey. For obedience is not only in the outward sense. Now, the word honor means to count as valuable or to revere. This brings us back again to uh, 521, out of reverence for Christ. And so there's a deeper sense. There's a deeper sense here than just sort of bare obedience. A child can do what they're told but maybe do so begrudgingly, or to do so without honor to his parents. Right? You know, go clean your room. Well, they might get it done, but you don't hear the end of it. Of course, this isn't just for children, is it? There's often the case that we grumble and complain about the things we're to do. You see, the Bible instructs us to live beyond simply outward manifestations of the law. We are to regard the weightier matters of the law, that is to say, the matters of the heart. For what is in the heart is what proceeds from the mouth. The inner attitude then of of the child towards his or her parents is what is in view here. And this is also what's in view is our own attitude towards those who hold authority over us. When we honor, when we we show love for them, we obey out of a sense of affection, out of a high regard, out of a spirit of respect and consideration. And so children, do you love your parents with merely outward actions or do you love your mom and your dad with all of your heart? Is what you do for them coming from a love and affection or simply because you have a duty? Well, they're they're making me do this, so I have to do it. Well, Christian, I ask you, do you love Jesus simply with your outward actions or do you love the Lord with your heart? Consider the difference. I must do this job or follow this law because I'm told, even though I don't want to, even though I don't agree with it, even though I think whoever's giving it to me is lacking of intelligence, or I delight in the Lord and I desire to serve and obey for this is right into His glory. Obedience to authority is obedience and worship of God. And again, this message of honoring father and mother is not only for our children. This is not a, a sermon that's only for the children and, and you know, the rest of us get to sort of check out. There is an honor and respect which is due to all of our elders, to our, our spiritual mothers and fathers, as it were. The Westminster Larger Catechism in question 124 puts it this way, By fathers and mothers in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, 
and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. The honor of our spiritual fathers and mothers is the reason for Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. And the father and mother, older men, older women within our body are to be honored and to be respected. And the family, what this means is for the child, is to honor honors due to both, both their mother and their father. And in the church, there's an honor which is due simply to those among us who are older. Who are our elders in that sense. Who are our spiritual fathers and mothers, as it were. So honor your father and mother, not only your natural father and mother, but to all those who are fathers and mothers among us. They're to be respected. They're to be honored. Now, in a parenthetical statement, Paul adds an explanation to the command, saying, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, you might wonder, what does this mean? This question is raised because the fifth commandment is not, in fact, the first in order of the commandments in the list of the Ten Commandments, nor is it the first commandment Listed that had any promises attached to it. So what does Paul mean when he says this is the first commandment with a promise? Well, the word first, protos in Greek, is where we get the word prototype. Now, the designation here, though, is not of rank order, but of significance. It's not in the order in which it comes, but that it's a very important issue. This commandment is of first or high importance. It has a promise attached to it. In in Leviticus chapter 19, after the general heading of, You shall be holy, for I the Lord am holy, the very next commandment is, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And this illustrates that the commandment to honor father and mother is of great significance. It's a weighty matter. Incidentally, this commandment is also the first one listed on the second table of the law, which deals with loving our neighbor. So here's the point. This greatly important command, namely, honor your father and your mother, has a promise attached to it, which is, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now the promise uh, to the people of Israel was that if they honored their father and their mother, that they would live long, they would remain in uh, the land in Israel. Now the promise itself in the Old Testament was, of course, in the context of a theocracy. It was specifically in reference to the prosperity and length of days in which God had given to his people as their inheritance. And you will notice as well that Paul shortens it and he generalizes it here in Ephesians. Where the Old Testament reference has to do with the land, Paul is now speaking generally of life. 
You see, the Ephesian Christians were not living under the theocracy of Israel, but rather were under the pagan Roman imperial government. And so in this sense, really the Ephesians are much more like us. We are in the new covenant, not in the old. The promise of living long in the land, as important as that was, in the old does not apply to us in quite the same way, and thus is not confined any longer to one land or one people. And so then how do we understand this promise of long and prosperous life for obedience? Well, the answer, according to Charles Hodge anyway, is that this, like all other such promises, is a revelation of a general purpose of God and makes known what would be the usual course of His providence. Certainly, obedience to parents could result in long and prosperous life for children. Sometimes, isn't that the threat we make to our children? You know, if you want to make it to your next birthday, you might consider obeying me. Could be. This is what's in view. All things being equal, children who are obedient to godly parents will live longer and more fruitful lives than those who are disobedient to their parents. This can be demonstrated by general observation of the world. But is this what Paul has in mind? Another possibility is that this promise spoken of is not a physical blessing, but a spiritual blessing. Keep in mind, the land inherited by Israel was but a picture of the spiritual realities. It was picturing for us the spiritual kingdom. For those who are in Christ, obedience to God's law is a fruit which is manifested in a transformed and disciplined life. The obedience of children, then, is an indication that they know God. They are truly in Christ and are enjoying spiritual benefits found in Christ. In other words, our obedience and the obedience of our covenant children is an outward indication of true saving faith. Isn't that what we're looking for in our children? They, that they, we, as we raise them, that they, they become obedient to God's word? That they express faith in Christ? Those who grow up in believing families and then go on to embrace that teaching with obedience are also those, we could say, who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. And they receive the blessings of eternal life from the kingdom. This is, as James puts it, how our works vindicate our faith. This is sola fide. Faith alone in Christ alone. True saving faith works itself out in the fruits of righteousness. Isn't isn't this what we expect to see as we raise our covenant children? That they express faith in Jesus, that they are obedient to his word, that they, they have the fruit of righteousness? Isn't this what we pray for for them? And so when Israel was obedient to God's word, they were preserved in the land. When they were disobedient, they faced the curses of God and they faced ejection from the land, which is, of course, what happens. For the Christian, Christ is our obedience. He has purchased our place in His kingdom. And when we obey His word by faith in Him, we enjoy His spiritual benefits. And so what is in view here, as we apply this in the New Covenant, are are not things temporal, 
At least not namely, but things eternal. What is being emphasized then is the obedience of children who are taught by their Christian parents the promised salvation blessings that brings for children have an interest in the covenant. And this highlights the importance of where Paul goes next, which is, of course, the obligation of parents. Where he says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And just as in Colossians 3.21, Paul urges fathers, or we could also say generally parents, to not assert their authority over their children in such a way which is calculated to provoke resentment rather than obedience. This is unreasonable parenting. It is unreasonable to, to uh, react to your children in a way which, which makes them resent you and resent the Lord rather than having them obey. Parents might provoke their children to anger through many different ways, through, through overprotecting them, the so-called helicopter parenting, or through showing favoritism of one child over another, through discouraging them. You know, the, the father who says, who, who says you, you never get it right, you never do anything right. Or through neglecting them and their needs, through bitter words, through failing to show love and compassion to them, by failing to teach them and discipline them, by physical or verbal cruelty or berating. All of these are ways in which a child can be provoked to anger. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. And he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Parents, take care that you do not cause your children to become angry through unreasonable parenting because they are a heritage. They are a blessing from the Lord. Of course, we will see next week that this is a general principle for all those in the 40, not just parents. So serious, though, is the raising of children and the care of children that the Lord spoke about the consequences of abusing our little ones. When he says in Matthew 18, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of his little ones who believes in me to sin, remember what he says? It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. The care of our children is pretty serious. Jesus says so. So I ask you parents, have you provoked your children to anger? Well, if you're honest, the answer is yes, you have, haven't you? We all have our moments of failure as parents. Perhaps this is an area of sin that needs to be repented of. Seek the Lord. Know that you can put to death this sin in your life through Christ. In the parallel passage in Colossians, the clause that Paul adds is, lest they become discouraged. 
Now here, though, Paul gives a better way to lead. Instead of parents exercising authority in such a way as the child becomes angry and resentful, he says this, that you should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Over against this negative means of parenting, of of causing anger in the child... Paul presents the positive. He says that parents are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this word bring up has the meaning of nourish or nurture. The parents parents are to nourish their children in the instruction of the Lord. To nourish them in the word. Parents are to spiritually feed their children. There's two ways they do this. By disciplining them and by instructing them. Now often, you know, the the anger piece that Paul is talking about, the negative, the reason why often we provoke our children to anger is because we're angry with them because they've done something wrong. It's not that they don't need discipline. They do need discipline. We need to discipline them in the, in the Lord, though. We need to discipline them rightly. We need to nourish them. We need to instruct them. And in, in, in other words, the parents' duty towards their children is to teach them, teach our children the things of the Lord, and how they're to live in light of the Lord's command. Even disciplining them. We must feed our children the wholesome goodness of God's Word, which brings delight to their souls and leads them on the paths of salvation in Christ. We desire to see our children to be obedient in the Lord, then we must teach them that. The Proverbs speak to this in 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Instead of angering children, parents are to nourish, feed their children in the Lord. Angering a a child may well lead to their destruction. Nourishing them in the Lord may well lead to the promise of hope and salvation in Christ. Because at the end of the day, what fathers and mothers are called to is to point our children to our Savior. And even in those moments of our own failures to repent before them. And show them that even mommy and daddy need Jesus. This is the primary role of parents, of the Christian parent. This is the role of all spiritual fathers and mothers of faith. To teach the things of the Lord. To show Jesus Christ crucified and raised for us. And again, this principle holds true for all those who hold authority. The better course for those in authority is to nourish those under their charge in the Lord with the word, not to lead them to be angry. Whether this be literal fathers and mothers or fathers and mothers, uh, uh, spiritual fathers and mothers, the principle holds true. Well, beloved, I hope you see that children are a blessing from the Lord. And it is the duty of parents to teach, train, discipline. Parents are to do this not with an iron fist, but with gentleness, with love, nourishing them with the Word. The aim of the parent is to teach and to discipline, not to frustrate and anger. 
And it is at, is at this place, it is here, that we as parents fail so miserably, so often. You will notice that throughout this whole section, that there are certain qualities that leaders should have. Those who have authority are to lead as servants, to love, to nourish, to care, gently correct, gently teach, lovingly help. These, by the way, you'll notice, are also all qualities of our Savior Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are to obediently come under His headship. We are to obey the authorities He has given to us like children. Hebrews 13, 7 says, uh, 17 rather says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for what would be for that would be of no advantage to you. Christ is the head of his church, and he rules his church through the offices of the church, but he is the head. We are members of the body. We are in Christ. And we are to delight to be under Him. For He is our Lord. And so children, or the household, the relationship of parents and children is but a picture of this gospel reality. Covenant children are called to obey their parents because they have an interest in Christ by the covenant. Because our children are not like the children of the world, are they? Our children are made holy on account of their being in our household as covenant members of the church. The Apostle Paul says so. Their obedience or disobedience, for that matter, indicates something of where they are spiritually. Children who are growing up in darkness, growing up in unbelieving families, or growing up in a world of disobedience... And children of believers are in the covenant and thus are called to obey that covenant. For this is what leads to the blessings which come in this life, spiritual blessings in Christ. Parents are to nourish their children in the Lord, gently leading them to obedience in Christ. Now, just to be clear, we're not saying that children of believers are automatically saved. But we have every expectation that they are and will be as as parents we train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But even the best parenting falls short of perfection. And so we pray. We pray that the Lord would be pleased to grant saving faith even to our little ones. For we view our children, all of them as covenant children, deserving of training, deserving of discipline, of loving care as children of the covenant. Our God is their God. And as parents and fellow members of the body of Christ, we were to remind them of this fact and look for the first signs of saving faith in them. And when they begin to think for themselves... We may begin to rejoice as they begin to evidence a living faith in our living Lord. For some, we may wait long years to see any result. Others, we may see in very early years, but God acts in his own timetable. And so we wait, we instruct, we nourish, gently leading them. 
And this is a picture of what our Savior does for us, isn't it? Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our Savior is gently instructing us, nourishing us, leading us, and even disciplining us. He's not doing this by provoking us to anger. He's instructing us by His Word. The Lord is teaching us through the preaching of His Gospel. And every time we read it and meditate on it. And He disciplines us. As a loving Father disciplines His children. And we've all experienced seasons and times when we fall under the chastisement of the Lord. The Lord disciplines those who are His. And so in this sense, the human parent is mimicking God. Beloved congregation, adults, covenant children, old, young, honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents, for this is right. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Obey your leaders as the Lord has called you to. Lead our covenant children in the Lord. Nurture them, discipline them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word and for the reminder of what a wonderful father you are to us. And so we look to you as we have our own little ones, as we are here natural parents and also, in a sense, spiritual parents in the body. We pray, God, that we may lead our children well, that we may teach them to fear and honor and glorify you, that we would instruct them by your word, that we would not be those prone to make them angry. We pray also for our children, and we pray for ourselves, that we may honor those who are in authority over us, that we may honor those who are our spiritual fathers and mothers, that we may submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we may do what is right, and pleasing before you. And that we would do these things because we love Jesus. And we want to honor and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.